Welcome to Risho Kosekai International of North America. Following is a reading of the book Guide to the Threefold Lotus Sutra by Nikyo Niwano, founder of Risho Kosekai. Part 2 The Lotus Sutra of the Wondrous Dharma. Chapter 15 Springing Up Out of the Earth. With this chapter, we begin the closing half of the sutra, that is, the part dealing with the law of origin. That's chapter 15 through 28, in which the ultimate substance of the Buddha and the ultimate substance of mankind, which is the same, is made clear. This law of origin is the underpinning of the law of appearance, that's chapter 1 through 14, or the derived teachings set forth in the first 14 chapters. The first portion of this chapter forms an introduction to the law of origin, while the latter part, combined with all of chapter 16 and first half of chapter 17, or one chapter and two halves, gives us the essence of the law of origin. As the present chapter opens, the World Honor One has completed the part of his sermon in Chapter 14, Peaceful and Agreeable Practices, and hordes of bodhisattvas from other worlds step forward and offer to spread the teaching in the Saha world after the Buddha's extinction. But the Buddha assures them that there is no need for help, for from of old there are countless bodhisattvas already in this world whose duty it is to teach the Lotus Sutra. No sooner has he uttered these words than the surface of the earth breaks apart and countless bodhisattvas and figure, all resembling the very Buddha, rise up from the crevices. This host of bodhisattvas is led by four outstanding ones, by name, superior practice, boundless practice, pure practice, and steadfast practice, who come forward to salute the Buddha and are in turn addressed in a free and familiar fashion. Those who had earlier assembled to hear the Buddha are puzzled by this development, and their questioning is expressed in a long address by the Bodhisattva Maitreya, who asks where these splendid creatures have come from and what kind of persons they are. The Buddha simply answers that they are those whom he has taught in this Saha world and led to awakening and that they have until now dwelt in a space beneath the Saha world. But the fact of the matter, it develops, is that from a time far, far in the past, he has been engaged in instructing all this host of bodhisattvas. This seemingly simple answer only puzzles the Bodhisattva Maitreya and all the other questioners, for they cannot understand how, in the 40-odd years since Shakyamuni's awakening, it has been possible to bring such number of beings to a state of perfection so near that of the Buddha himself. Yet no one close to the Buddha over these years have ever seen one of them. The chapter closes with a poetic repetition of the perplexity in which all now stand, as the Bodhisattva Maitreya presses Shakyamuni to explain and sweep away their doubts. 
If the Bodhisattva Maitreya himself is confused in this way, there is little wonder that we in this latter age of Mappo should be puzzled. In point of fact, however, the Buddha, responding as he did, was employing a device. By stating an apparent contradiction and raising questions in the mind of his listeners, and then in one stroke explaining the difficulty, he was able to leave a lasting impression. The explanation comes in the following chapter The Lifespan of the Eternal Tathagata. And by way of making this easier to understand, some explanation is needed here. The expression taught in this world and instructed from a long time past suggests two different ways of viewing a person. The first means viewing that person as a physical being with his own personality, that is, from the viewpoint of seeing the phenomena. The second means viewing that person as a being identical with oneself in having the Buddha nature or the great life force of the universe, that is, from the viewpoint of wisdom that penetrates the real aspect of things. The former is the way of viewing distinctive forms and their differences. The latter is a way of viewing identical being and equality. The right way to view mankind includes both aspects. If you view a bodhisattva from the former viewpoint, he can be called a bodhisattva by influence, one who is influenced by Shakyamuni's teaching and is engaged in practice. But if you view the same bodhisattva from the latter viewpoint, he can be called a bodhisattva of essence, one who, since the remote past, has been taught by the eternal Buddha and is part of him. Bodhisattvas by influence and bodhisattvas of the essence are in ultimate substance one and in no sense different. Though it is possible to see here a vast difference between the splendor of the bodhisattva of the essence and the lowliness of the bodhisattva by influence. This, however, is merely a way of expressing the difference between those who have a self awareness of being bodhisattvas of the essence and those who do not. Accordingly, in our own time, those of us who learn the teachings of the Buddha, practice them, and work for the liberation of people are bodhisattvas by influence. But if there were one who, from the bottom of his heart, had the awareness that he was one with the eternal Buddha, Though his actions might be like those of the Bodhisattva by influence, such person would be a Bodhisattva of the essence. In outward appearance, the forms of faith of the two, the Bodhisattva by influence and the Bodhisattva of the essence, are alike. But if one enters into the inner substance of that faith, a difference of level is to be found that becomes apparent in the work of instruction and liberation. There are different ways of viewing the sudden emergence from out of the earth of the throng of bodhisattvas described in this chapter, but we may observe three points of particular note. The first is in Chakamuni's declining the offer made by the bodhisattvas from other worlds and entrusting the teaching to those who sprang up out of the Saha world. The lesson here is simply that only through the work and effort of people living wherever they may be 
is it possible to achieve peace and build a happy life? The second, in the way in which the bodhisattvas enjoying the state of awakening and dwelling in a space under the Saha world, broke through the ground at the sound of the Buddha's voice. Now, those bodhisattvas dwelling in the space beneath this Saha world, though most certainly people of this world, were living in the pleasure of awareness of the emptiness of all things, but had not yet been moved to exercise that awareness for the liberation of the human world. Awareness of the emptiness of all things in human terms means seeing that the true nature of mankind is identical with the Buddha nature. So that they are certainly aware of this truth, but they only took pleasure in this in themselves and did not turn outward to work for others. Such as these may indeed be fine people without blemish, but they do not serve for the liberation of living beings. There is, then, an absolute necessity for such as these once and for all to break through the ground. In other words, they must experience life in actual society. They must plunge into the grime and dirt in which humanity is struggling and feel directly humanity's suffering and torment. Only in this way may they really come to lead people and to save them. It does not do merely to deal in ideas, for without being in touch with reality, one cannot deliver mankind. The third is in the conduct element that formed part of the name of each of the four outstanding bodhisattva who let the throng that sprang up out of the earth, that is, superior practice, boundless practice, pure practice, and steadfast practice. The first half of the Lotus Sutra was given over largely to the teaching of reason and truth, the teaching of wisdom. But upon completion of that half of the Sutra, we had the abrupt appearance of a countless throng of bodhisattvas who were doers. Any teaching without application and practice is nothing. It must move on to the stage of action. The true bodhisattva is the doer who applies his knowledge of the true aspect of all reality, the statement of which truth is the theme of the first half of the Lotus Sutra. He is the doer who, in his compassionate conduct, exemplifies the truth of the Buddha nature identity, the kind of person who makes the teaching of the Buddha meaningful in this world. Since this so precisely applies to us who are alive today, it is important to take this message to heart. End of Part 2 The Lotus Sutra of the Wondrous Dharma Chapter 15 Springing Up Out of the Earth Arkina offers classes on Buddhism, information on meditation, holds online gatherings, and practices chanting. Please visit our website at www.arkina.org for information on upcoming events.